Welcome to the pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBAO. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So how was your weekend? It was so beautiful out. It was so beautiful out. Um, my big uh, big news in my life over the last week was that Wally ate an entire apple pie and went like low-key mildly viral for it. Um, he, we had had a Memorial Day barbecue. You mean like internet viral, not like no, stomach no, viral? No, no, no. He, surprisingly <laughs> fine. His his internal organs are all A-OK. Um, no, I I had like left to go out for the evening and he he's generally fine if you like leave him in the morning. Like he doesn't mind hanging around the house doing a snooze during the day. Right. But in the evening, if you leave, he gets real angry and that's when he like goes hunting for food and mischief. And so he found on a counter that I thought was way higher than his capacity to reach, he found the remnants of an apple pie from our Memorial Day barbecue and his the video from our like little nanny cam in the house of him like dragging the pie off the counter with his mouth and it's splatting on the floor and then him like disappearing to go eat it was I found amusing tweeted it just because it was like a daily Wally update and then all of a sudden like it became a thing so. It's kind of well, like Wally's fine, everybody. He's great. It's kind of like the time we uploaded a video of Lucy when she was seven months old, but we forgot to like make it so only the people with the link could watch it and it now has like three hundred thousand views or something. <laughs> like we like looked like, you know, seven years later we're like, Oh, I think we're I think we're YouTubers now. But like I don't know what's happening. Um but we went to a party at somebody's house who has a dog, a rambunctious dog, and a spy cam to watch the dog. And Beckett and the dog were like chasing each other, and then like Beckett and Lucy were doing tug of war with the dog's toy, as if they were dog. Like it was just not clear who was in charge of the three of them, and who was the dog, and who was the kid, and who was the like bigger kid. (laughs) And then when they saw the spy cams, they were like, "Oh, now Beckett's like, can we move into this house because there are spy cameras?" I'm like, I don't think. So he's like, bring on the surveillance state. <laughs> like, like, does that mean I could leave you alone at home because you have spy no, cams? No, now so, he has a future yes. as a reality TV star. <laughs> Great. Sign him up for the next season of The Bachelorette. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> as long as there's like competitive eating and like throwing, then he'd be the winner. Uh, you know what? There's winner. plenty of reality shows that check those boxes. So he's going to be fine in the new economy. Margie. He's going to be fine. <laughs> okay. What are the top lines? Uh, we're talk a little bit about the aftermath of the Mueller presser, and we're going to talk a little bit about people's reactions to made-up news. Uh, the millennials are coming, guys. David Brooks has written a column about it, which means they're so hot right now. They're so hot right now. It's real and it's happening. So uh, we'll talk about that. Um, some polling on voter views on moral values and do people think the country is morally on the right track? We'll talk about some fresh polling on the abortion issue and a question that has Margie particularly incensed about quote unquote. Women's issues. <laughs> you are going to want to stick around Lady for things. this. Lady Paul. You're going to want to listen to this. Uh, we'll talk about some views on the census asking about citizenship in the upcoming census. We'll do a quick check in on a fun statistical artifact that is sending one Democrat to the debate stage. And finally, are you going on a summer vacation? We will look at polling about who is and who is not. Okay. So first... Mueller report. This comes from one of our pollster in our pollster squad of Ariel Edwards Levy did some polling on the Mueller report um, about. And this was interesting because I've seen folks like tweet like, would you believe that people don't even know that the Mueller report has been made public? I'm like, yes, I would. I would believe that. Um, so uh, this was a poll that tried to ask specifically about um, Mueller's quote about exoneration, this question of the message when the Mueller report was initially complete but not fully publicly released and Attorney General Barr released a summary memo and did that change the narrative about what people thought was in the report that then Mueller seemed to want to correct by then basically reading from the report, more or less summarizing what he already said in the report um, in a public statement. And so then the question says, Robert Mueller said Wednesday, if we had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so. 
had you seen, heard, or read this quote prior to taking the survey, um, 87% of those who follow the Mueller, say they follow the report on MSNBC, said yes. 78% of those who follow the news about the Mueller report on CNN said yes. 71% of those who said that they follow it on Fox said yes. Everybody else said 50%, which about 50% said yes, I had seen that. Although I wonder, you you probably get an inflated yes if you say, here's a thing. Have you seen this thing? People will say yes, as opposed to like, here are three or four things. Which of these things have you seen? Yeah, that's true. Or here's like the beginning of a sentence. Which of these answers do you think, you know, came after that? Although notably, I mean, you don't have to have read the 400-something page report. If you read Barr's four-page summary, it's there on page three where he quotes – The special counsel states, quote, while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. So like that line was out there, even in the very first thing Barr put into the the ether. Um, So, you know, I was fascinated by like all of the cable news brouhaha after it, because my takeaway was that like Mueller said, guys, read the report. Yeah. I said I, I made like a really horrible Dr. Seuss reference on a CNN show that I like as soon as I said it I was like oh wow I just cringed at myself but it was the like the I meant what I said and I said what I meant but in Dr. Seuss it's something like an elephant's faithful 100% but it was, instead I was like Bob Mueller wants you to read his report 100% and then I was like oh wow I did just not did end that with an television. elephant is faithful 100% I'm I, not surprised I, I hate myself a little bit right now um but anyhow, so I was I would have been stunned if Mueller's press conference had changed anyone's mind because he basically said a lot of the things that I thought were kind of already out there in the report. And sure enough, in the follow up question after saying, so if you said you saw Mueller as quoted as saying, if we had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so, um, which was 68 percent of Clinton voters, 58 percent of Trump voters and 28 percent of non-voters who said, yes, I have seen this factoid. Um, of those people, 90 percent of the Clinton voters said, yeah, and the report does not clear Trump of wrongdoing. But 74 percent of Trump voters come to the conclusion that, yeah, he says it does not exonerate him, but the report clears him of wrongdoing. So. You know, that's there's it continues to be a Rorschach test. If you like Trump, you think the report proves why you should like him. And if you don't like Trump, you think the report proves this is why I don't like this guy. Yeah, it's interesting, right? So is it because they have a, people have a separate meet they there's a separate meaning to their mind of Mueller saying his of his quote and clearing Right. Mm-hmm. Those are two separate things. Clearing someone of wrongdoing versus clearly having, you know, evidence of it. This, there, this does not exonerate. Well, there's also there's the two volumes yeah. of the report. Right. So in a way, the first volume, which is about the Russian interference, clearly outlines all the bad things that Russians are doing and all of the like shady contacts they did or didn't have. But it, volume one is a little more clear that like it it does more of the quote unquote exonerating if we're going to use that word, then volume two, which is where they do the like, we decline to decide uh, whether the president committed obstruction of justice or not. So the, it could also be that people are conflating like the finding of volume one, which was we do not find we find insufficient evidence of a criminal conspiracy versus the second volume where Mueller's like, we're going to take a pass on this one because it's kind of murky and we couldn't charge him anyways because he's the president. So Congress to you. Like, th- there's a difference between volumes one and two, and maybe the Trump voters are just really focused on volume one. No, uh, yeah, or maybe they're just like, you know, the president tweeted I'm that I was completely that, yeah. exonerated, and so that's what I think. Or, I'm not really sure what that sentence means because it's like a little legalese for me, and so I'm just going to go with what the president tweeted. Yep, that's probably that's possibly it, too. So there's also some new a new study that popped on your radar that you yes. are fascinated by about yes. people thinking that f- made up news and information is a very big problem. In yes. Our so this is Pew. So this is obviously a challenge in our current climate. Um, and it's always been a challenge for people to feel like they are getting news that they can trust and they know how to, 
get information. And there's a question about this here, and it's something that you he- you've been, you know, you. Um, I'm sure folks who do focus groups have heard people say this for a long, long time. Like, well, I don't believe, you know, what I hear. I go and check the record. And you, ha- there was a question here. It wasn't exactly check the record, but there was a little bit like I go and do a fact check. Like that's what I do when I, I'm not sure about a news source. So that's there's a little bit of that in there. Like. What do you, you know, do you, it doesn't say like, how do you go check that? You know, where do you go check the, check the record? But at any rate, there is this, you know, long time worry that people feel that they can't trust the news. It's obviously magnified now for a variety of obvious reasons. The president encourages it. You have different, uh, you know, fractured news outlets, social media where people can kind of post all kinds of things. Then you have these kind of like trolley websites that, you know, put things that people want to click on that aren't necessarily, that aren't news sites, they're not journalists. Um, so you have all all of that happening in this big soup that leads people to feel that news is not trustworthy. And so lots of outlets we've talked about, you worked on a poll, Kristen, but there's been other outlets that have tried to like figure out how people view news in general. And so this Pew poll I thought was really interesting. And this is the one of the numbers that fascinated me the most, but there's a lot in here and folks should go look at the report. Um Half of Americans think made-up news and information is a critical problem for the country. That part doesn't surprise me. It has here the percent of adults who say each of these things is a very big problem in the country today. It has a list of about 10 things. Made-up news is in the middle. 50% say it's a very big problem. I don't know how many points the scale has, but never mind that. It is ahead of violent crime, climate change, not by a lot, Racism, illegal immigration, terrorism, and sexism. Like that to me is like – it's not that those other things aren't important. It's amazing to me that that made-up news is higher than all those things. Well, part of that I think is because of the partisan breakdown sure. on those things. So when you have something like, for instance, drug addiction is at the top of this poll, 70%. Opioids, drug addiction, that's something that Republicans and Democrats both talk about a lot, whereas – Illegal immigration being a problem is something Republicans talk about a lot, but Democrats don't talk about as much. Or sexism being a problem is something Democrats talk about much more than Republicans. So in a way, the higher up the list you go, maybe it's less that these are bigger problems and more that there is more bipartisan consensus that there is a problem. Now, on the made-up news question, it is Republicans who are more likely than Democrats to say they think made-up news is a problem. But of course, I I would expect that the definitions of what we mean when we say made-up news are very different, that when Democrats are talking about concerns about made-up news, it's worries about, you know, Russian disinformation campaigns producing deep fakes that show Democratic candidates doing things that, you know, what what have you. For Republicans, the made-up news is something they believe a lot of mainstream outlets are engaged in on a fairly regular basis. I mean, you will still hear in sort of conservative chatter sphere agitation around the Covington Catholic story and this idea that, like, these kids had their names dragged through the press as they were taunting this man and the story was actually more complicated. And look, this is just another example of news organizations making things up to fit their narrative. And so it's less that for Republicans when they hear made up news, it's I'm worried about Russian deep fakes of saying of Trump. Um, and it's more that they feel that mainstream outlets are engaged in making up of news. Right. They asked a question like how much of these things, you know, cause confusion. It's a little bit different of like what are you thinking of when we say made up news? But they asked, you know, how uh, does it cause a great deal of confusion, some, et cetera. Made up news and information, right? That could be kind of anything. Video or images that are altered or made up, right? That's like the Nancy Pelosi Video, for example, but there's obviously other examples. Breaking information that's not fact-checked or not checked. So that's stuff just coming out quickly that and everyone kind of piles on. Factual information that's one-sided and satire about an issue or event. It, it's still – and I've asked this question in focus groups and maybe you've asked it or, or have something like, what are people thinking of when they say fake news or they think things are biased or they're made up and you sh- – you know, I've showed people articles say, OK, what do you think of this article? They're like, well, I don't know if I could believe that. You know, I don't believe the news. News, and I've tried to probe, like, well, what do? You, how do you think it works? Do you think like a reporter comes into work that day and is like, I have this great idea I just made up out of my imagination, you know? Or are people like digging, you know, making more of a small story? Are they putting emphasis on a story that is, you know, really not a big deal, but they're putting an emphasis because of whatever reason? Like, you know, made up can mean anything. And I think it's hard for people to kind of respond to some of that. That's, I think, a pretty complicated 
you know, newsy question for people, but it is part, you know, it it does make research on this topic pretty challenging. You know, this breaking information that's not checked, like, I'm not surprised that that's in here because that's certainly a thing that news outlets worry about. I don't think that's something that like a lot of, you know, regular news consumers worry about as much. But anyway, so, so I'm interested in that topic. I don't know if this sort of settles it, but I think that that's a hard hard thing to explore. The other thing that was interesting is journalists aren't seen as getting a lot of the blame necessarily for made up news, but they're seen as responsible. So uh, political leaders and staff are most likely to be seen as, you know, culpable for made up news and information or creating the news and information. But a majority say the news media is responsible for figuring out what to do, you know, for reducing the amount of made up news. Um, But there is a real partisan divide there where Republicans are far more likely to say journalists are, resp- are to blame for making made up news, um, mm-hmm. while Democrats are more like you know most likely to say that political leaders and staff are creating that made up news. But there's actually not that big of a part of partisan difference there. But that's where Democrats are more likely to place blame, um, and more of both parties say foreign actors are to blame than, say, the public is to and blame. And there's actually not that big of a partisan divide on the foreign actors question. It's just kind of where does it rank in the hierarchy? Right. For Democrats, it's like the second place thing they blame. And for Republicans, it's the fourth out of five place thing they blame. Right. Um, if I'm reading this, or actually, no, it looks like it's tied. I, I Perhaps I'm reading. Yeah, it's it's tied for second among Democrats. Um it just was an optical illusion from that chart. But, yeah. uh, it, you know, for Republicans, clearly they think that, you know, activist groups, journalists and political leaders on the other side are far more responsible than, say, like a foreign actor like Russia, where for Democrats, I assume political leaders and staff is very heavily Trump centric. That Right. I, I would imagine. Then they asked this other question that I thought was pretty interesting. Have you ever knowingly shared made-up news and information that you knew at the time was made up or later found out was made up. And about half of Americans have said they had done either of those, made up, you know, shared made-up news knowingly or unknowingly, you know, unwittingly shared made-up news. Um, Of the 10 percent of Americans who said they knew at the time it was made up, they said, well, why did you share this made-up news? And almost half of those said, well, it was to tell other people that it was inaccurate, which is interesting. About a quarter said because it was surprising or entertaining. Um, And then, what's that, 18 percent to create discussion about it. That sounds so, like academic. I just wanted to have a discussion about this piece of made-up news. Um, And then 8%, well, I liked it. I liked what it said. I enjoyed that made-up news. Does sharing an Onion article count? I I assume not. But Well, I guess people can interpret it however they want. But like, if you are counting sharing intentional satire, I recall very clearly there is a clip that The Onion did, and this was from like 2003. 13, 14, where it was like a fake, you know, a a faux, we'll say faux, news segment about Republicans doing extremely well with young voters who look like old voters. (laughs) And it was clips of like (laughs) college Republican convention footage (laughs) of like all the dudes in the bow ties and the Navy Blazers. Like I knew some (laughs) of the people in the thing and I was dying because it was it was really funny. So I shared that. Right. But I did not share it as like Hey guys, here's a real thing that happened on the did news. Did you do it to create discussion about it? I did or because you liked it? I did it because I liked it. I did it because I liked it. Great. <laughs> you know what else I like? Young voters. And that is the next topic yeah, of conversation we've got, which is Pew Research Center has analyzed the current population survey, uh, the November supplement, which is like has the voter. Voting in America information. Sure. Basically, we've talked about the exit polls. Love the exit polls. But they are not actually the best estimate out there of who voted. Um, They may be the best estimate of how groups voted because I don't believe that the CPS asks people for their preferences. Right. But – And CPS doesn't ask about like – how big of an issue was X, Y, and Z? Right. So, so the, the it's mostly giving you. Do you, you think information Trump has the right temperament? That's voted. not in the 
<laughs> yes. So the exit polls do a different thing. Get rid of the citizenship question, you know, add a citizenship question and add Trump's temperament. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so in this survey, uh, you have uh, you've got a large scale government survey being sort of leveraged to figure out who voted. And so they added up all of the votes that they estimate were cast by people of different generations and they track it going back to 1982. So guess what? No Gen Zers, Millennials, or Gen Xers were casting votes in 1982 because we either weren't alive or weren't old enough to do so. But by the time Slackers. by the time you hit 2018, it's not just that there's an increase in how many votes were cast by Gen Z, Millennials, and Gen Xers because you would expect that, right? As more and more of those people become voting eligible, become older, it was that it like nearly doubled. I mean the the weight of votes cast by the younger generation. I mean, it went up to 62 million for boomers. It, there was an uptick compared to 14, which is a little bit more of a sleepy midterm, but it was only 60 million. So Gen Z, Gen X, and millennials, our powers combined like Captain Planet or the Megazord and Power Rangers. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's just my millennial kid references. What uh, are you talking about? Um, yes. You know yeah. what the Power Rangers yes, are. Yes, I know what the Power Rangers are, but I didn't know anything. I didn't know what anything you said after that was. Do you know what Captain Planet is? No. Wow. No. That was the liberal indoctrination of my generation. Mm. It was why I really liked Al Gore in 1992. Huh. I was in the second grade. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so anyhow, um, what, what I thought was really fascinating about this poll, and this is it's not a chart that we have in our notes, but I've committed it to memory because it was amazing, it is a chart that shows the turnout percentage among each generation. Again, 2014 midterm, super snooze fest. Very few people voted. Um, for millennials, it was like a, yeah. Thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks. <laughs> great midterm for Republicans. So. <laughs> Sorry. Good job, gang. <laughs> uh, great for us. Uh, millennials. I mean, it was like less than a quarter of all eligible millennials voted in that midterm. I remember because I was in the middle of writing the selfie vote, and I was like, "Come on, guys! I'm gonna need you to do better so that I can convince people this topic matters." <laughs> it was it was heartbreaking. Well, hey, it matters now um, because turnout percentage went from like 20-something up to 42% among millennials. Gen Z, the very earliest little nub of that generation, their turnout percentage was 30%, which was higher than either millennials or Gen X when they first started. Mm -hmm. So they're coming in hot at a baseline that's already higher than right. the previous two generations. I mean, everyone really got fired up for this when they look at it by age. There was no age break that like – took the midterm off but younger voters the increase was significantly more dramatic so they're here if you vote in midterms you're almost certainly going to vote in a presidential so watch out world the millennials are at the gates now i'm assuming but maybe i shouldn't assume this that this is well there's obviously something different between 14 and 18 but it, for everybody. But is there something about population growth? Is there some population trend in how these generations moved? Was there some sort of boomlet that like blossomed? Or is this really just about, you know, in 18, young people were motivated and it was something unique to that generation? It wasn't a, as a function of like people coming of age in some sort of faster rate. So the first chart, could be explainable by something like that because we're just talking about raw numbers right. of votes cast. Right. But the chart that shows turnout percentage, yep. I mean, that's just a share of who is right. eligible. Right, so right, right, even right. if there's suddenly like were a grillion kids who were born yep. in 2000 and all just magically yep. aged up, it's still the percentage that yep. to me is the eye-popping figure. So good job, kids. Good job, my fellow kids. <laughs> You Hello, did great. You voted. And do it again next time. And so what do you think that means for um Republican chances in 2020 if this trend continues? I guess we haven't seen what a chart like this would look like with So I mean presidential year. I have been predicting doom for the Republicans at the hands of the millennials for quite some time. Indeed. I'm well on record on this fact. Let me present a counter argument, sure. which is 
that it is possible that a lot of these young people who turned up in the midterms were already presidential voters. What was notable was just that they were now participating in off years. Right. So maybe it won't lead to a very different looking presidential electorate. But I am skeptical of that. I I believe that you are very likely to see more young people who may last time around have been like, uh, I don't really love Hillary Clinton. Uh, they both seem terrible. Uh, but Hillary Clinton's going to win, whatever. Um, that like that's going to go away. And a lot of young people are like, guys, we have a chance to make Trump not president. I mean, given Trump's approval rating among young people, which is consistently bad, except among like one poll that happens every six months that suddenly like all of my buddies email me like, look, Trump's job approval among millennials is a 53 percent. And I'm like, guys, I, you, somebody just made this number up. Like, I'm really <laughs> glad that you sent it to me because now I can tell you that it's garbage. But I, I digress. Um, Great. OK, well, let's take a break and then we'll come back to see what we can all do about it. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees, and it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google/certificates. All right, welcome back. So up next, we have a discussion on moral values. Uh, Earlier this week, Margie and I were on an interesting panel where we were asked about the relationship between the president's job approval and the economy and like to what extent are these things related or separate and that kind of right now you have even though poll after poll and Gallup has a lot of interesting data shows that a lot of people think the economy is getting better, that they're going to be better off. The president's job approval, while not great, is best when you ask about the economy. But nonetheless, questions about direction of the country are in pretty bad shape. Um, that more people think that the country is on in the wrong direction than even disapprove of Trump, right? That there's this widespread, not just one party or the other consensus right. that like something is rotten in the state of Denmark. Yep. Or America. Yeah. Um, and so Gallup has been asking for quite some time, do you think the state of moral values in the country as a whole is getting better or getting worse? So Republicans have for most of the late aughts, most of the Obama era, were about 10 to 20 points higher than than Democrats on saying that they thought the country was getting worse morally. The gap is closed. You have about about three quarters of Republicans and Democrats who both believe that the state of moral values in the country yeah, look is at that. getting worse. Why would you put the, all right? Anyway, it doesn't matter. But um, the seventy six on top of the seventy eight. Anyway, they're the same. They're they're statistically the same. I think what's interesting about this question, like it's you know, obviously when you have a trend line for this long, I think that's worth exploring and the fact that you now have a couple or like three different poll, three different takings of this poll in a row showing no real difference between D's and R's feeling that the country's moral values are getting worse. And that's like a clear majority. You don't have a lot of people. The number has been stable overall nationally. And the percent that feel that our moral values are excellent or good, that's been, you know, kind of in the teens more or less or about a fifth or just slightly under that. That hasn't changed since they started asking this question. So the the real news story here, I think, is the the convergence of the parties. But what's interesting about this, I just like want to flag it. And this is something we were talking about, the exit polls and what they ask in the exit polls, this question that I always have a little bit of a beef with. What do you mean when you're talking about moral values? What are you talking about? This and was the big 20, 2004 for, yes. exit poll question. Yes. Oh, moral issues is the number one issue driving Republican ah, voters. So that must mean – Gay marriage. Well, why? I have, you know, well, why are Republicans, like, why, first of all, why? Is that in the question? No. So why are we assuming that? And two, I have moral values. My moral values are I am in favor of gay marriage. Like, that's not, like, moral value doesn't have to mean a conservative ideological value. So um, so that's been, like, a, a both a polling 
quibble that I have as well as just sort of the larger conversation that we have about values and, and you know, political points of view generally. And the fact that you see, I think, you know, d- Democrats being in a similar place to Republicans, does that mean that Democrats are thinking, yes, moral values have gotten worse because, you know, because of what we see under President Trump, because of the, you know, he's been fanning the flames of racism and sexism. And those are moral values that we find abhorrent. And so we see moral values getting worse and family separation, et cetera. Like what what are Democrats responding to when they see that? Or are they talking about corruption, which is also a moral value? It could be. We don't know. Right. But it's interesting to me that there's something happening here. We don't really can't really tell from the question. But even if the issue mix of what people think of as moral values is constantly in flux, that almost makes it more fascinating that this number has seemed relatively stable-ish-esque. That people just they always think we're going to hell in a handbasket. Like – they always think we're our- it's getting worse. It's getting worse. <laughs> One thing that we know we can be stable about is that it's getting worse. <laughs> yes. Well, there's some other polling that we've got from Pew um, that's looking sort of forward looking at what do people predict about the future of an issue like abortion? So the politics of abortion is sort of well-covered territory. We have talked about it on this show. It will come as no surprise to you to hear that 56 percent of Republicans would like abortion to be illegal in all or most cases. Only 20 percent say illegal in all cases, which is why there has been consternation on the right about what is going on in places like Alabama by sort of taking the position that is not even a majority position within the GOP. But I digress. Uh, but, you know, and you have 76 uh, percent of Democrats who say they would like le- abortion to be legal in all or most cases. Um, the plurality, 40 percent say legal in most cases, but not all. 36 percent of Democrats say legal in all. What is more interesting about this poll is not oh, hey, Republicans lean pro-life and Democrats lean pro-choice or whatever. It's what people think the future of the issue will look like. And this to me is fascinating because there has been, I assume you have not been immersed in David French gate on the Republic, like which has dominated my It's a cloud that like went by that I not really noticed. So it is, this is like all my friends Fighting with each other, fighting with people I don't like. I mean, it's like the conservative movement, like everyone's just stabbing each other in the face on the Internet. Uh, you might actually enjoy it now that I framed it that way. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, it's <laughs> Google's people stab <laughs> each, each other, other in, the in the face on Twitter. That's, uh, how that's a, well, Have no. you seen John Wick? Never mind. Uh, so um, if you also want to see people stabbing each other in the face, supposedly the Hi. new John Wick film has some of that. I um, think I, I prefer escapist Right now. <laughs> Fleabag. Right. Strong female characters, attractive men, foreign accents, nothing about American politics and <laughs> or violence. Hey, you got me into the bodyguard. That's, that's what I want right I now. Was, that was a great recommendation. You've never let me down. Yes. So anyway, the, the, all of which is to say there's this whole big argument about is the conservative movement failing, like obviously the coalition in the Bush era, which was kind of robust, aggressive American foreign policy, married to social conservatism, married to free market capitalism. Like that was the fusion of these three different, you know, yeah. Captain Planet, our powers combined. I'm going to make sure. a reference again. Okay. Uh, and that, that, that's kind of fallen apart in the Trump era, right? Trump is like the war in Iraq was a huge mistake and uh, free trade is not so great. And he personally does not live out super conservative values, although he's appointing judges. But that you should. Social conservatives really like. I mean, it's, <laughs> but with the rest of us have so to. it's so it's you know it's kind of yeah. meditating on this confusion. Right. And one of the points that was raised is that like conservatives for a long time have been sort of you know leaders have been running on saying like we're going to roll back Roe v. Wade and we're going to blah blah right. blah. But like it, it hasn't happened, and I, I, it still seems unlikely that it's going to happen. It's one of those things that like conservative voters keep getting promised by leaders in like fundraising pitches, but then it does not wind up materializing. Mm-hmm. And so what? That was just one facet of this like multi-dimensional, sprawling, intra-conservative brawl. All of which is to say, this poll question: People are asked by 2050, do you think abortion in the U.S. will be illegal with no exceptions? Illegal except in certain cases, legal but with some restrictions, legal with no restrictions. And a majority consensus, a sizable majority consensus, over 7 in 10 Republicans believe abortion will be legal in 2050. And 83% of Democrats believe abortion will be legal in 2050. So 
I think this is fascinating, right? Because there are so many of the like when Alabama passes this law, suddenly like people are putting on their Handmaid's Tale costumes and saying like we're headed toward Gilead. But like this poll sort of shows most Democrats actually don't think that's realistically where we're headed. So a couple things. So first, this poll, you know, Pew does their fact tank where they're like, hey, you may want to see this thing that just came out, but it's not right ripped from the headlines, but it's relevant. So this is from December. This is from 2018 for the end of the year. But still at this, you know, uh, your point taken, right? Because obviously uh, during the Kavanaugh hearings in particular and the, you know, Senate battles, there was a sense like there is a threat, like it's it's really happening this time. Um, And but you you do see Republicans a little bit more likely, although the party's more similar than not in what their views are toward where they think abortion rights are headed. Um, is this changing over time? Doesn't matter how you ask the question because you have a whole lot of real estate here on the legal with some restrictions that's doing a lot of work, right? There's a whole world of some restrictions going on and some restrictions can mean all kinds of different things, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, some restrictions can mean in some states there's one provider, right, in the whole state. So, it, you know, this is – this these – the, the, there's a lot in the details that would change people's points of view. But still, at the same time, one of the, you know, questions that's evolving is do people see these state-level laws that are happening in lots of states as a sign that, you know, there is a threat coming to where they live if they live someplace else, so if you're talking about folks on the left? And, you know, what it, what does that require? Does that require – are people hearing it? Does it require more conversation about it? Um, if folks on the right keep pushing these very extreme laws, not just Alabama, but the ones in other states as well, is that actually going to change these numbers, you know, in a real way? Because the right is like, yeah, no, the, the threat is coming. It is really coming. We're starting. We're, we're getting ready. Um, it's not, you know, hyperbolic. But it's interesting that, uh, you know, Repub- it's interesting, at least in December, that Republicans were more likely to think than Democrats that uh, abortion was going to be illegal in the next you know, 2050. And also, I wonder if the anchor of 2050 would change if we asked this about like six years from now or 10 years from now, or four years from now or something like that. Yeah. Would that change as opposed to 2050 where you'd be like, maybe all this like crazy time will be over by then. I I wonder. I I almost I I'm skeptical that changing the time horizon too much would change things. To me, this sort of suggests that people think that Roe is likely to stay as the law of the land, even if Republican presidents appoint judges to courts, that that seems to be something that will not be overturned. And therefore, while there may be restrictions around the edges implemented in red states where legislatures that like there's just not a belief that one day the Supreme Court is going to be like Roe is gone. And and so but what is fascinating is so much political fundraising talk happens around Roe is under threat right. or we need to you need to support my person because we have our chance to take down right. Roe. Like it's the, the disconnect between kind of rhetoric and yeah, what people of both Although parties doesn't, believe it doesn't is the ask about Roe. But yes, oh, that's true. It doesn't ask about Roe. Yeah. And, and again, even if Roe was to be overturned, that does not mean abortion would instantaneously become illegal in some red states. Right, because this doesn't in, specify there, the nation or your state. Right, you know, right. That's what makes this issue, even though people have clear opinions of where they are, makes this issue a little more complicated because you have different state laws, Supreme Court, lots of different legal kind of processes. Speaking of question wording, can we talk about this? Oh, yes. Paul, we're on the topic of women's issues. <laughs> Margie, take it away. So I have an issue. I have a women. I have a women's issue, <laughs> which is this question. And I get it. Look, I get it. You know, we want to know these things, right? But um, this is from this is from Morning Consult, right? And they ask how important are these issues? You know, the variety of issues. Let's see what the exact question wording is. And they do not – let's see. What does it say? They say, what's the most important issue to your vote? And they have the phrase women's issues, economic issues, security issues, education issues, seniors issues, energy issues, women's issues, and healthcare issues. And I – just don't like the phrase women's issues as like, I mean, I understand. I don't either. Bipartisan consensus. <laughs> I understand. I, it's not like I haven't ever used that phrase, right? It just doesn't. It just lacks precision. 
one. Now, not that these other things are, I mean, energy issues, I think, can mean all kinds of things. Education issues, maybe people have a little bit of, I mean, they're all a little bit broad. It's hard. I should just back up with saying it's always hard to say, like, what's the most important issue? It's hard to, those questions are harder to write than you would think because do you just give the, like, the word immigration or do you give it a poll, right? Reducing illegal immigration or... You know, two people can treating, think immigration is important for treating immigrants yeah. with respect. Whatever, there's all kind. You know, if it's guns, right? Let's, you know, is it? Do you support stronger gun laws, or are you, you know, worried about the government, you know, taking away your guns, right? So, when, so if you use the phrase just the word guns, then people can answer no matter what their whatever they think. But this is among Democratic primary voters, so you could give it a little bit more. You could you could elaborate what you mean, but if you get too specific, then you may lose people. They're like, "Well, I'm for climate change, but I'm not, you know, but it's not like so much for energy. It's I'm not. I wouldn't say it's energy issues. It's something whatever. So people can get kind of tied up in the details when they answer this if you are too precise in the question. So it just really matters in what you're trying to find out. However, all that said, so I don't begrudge. Anybody trying to grapple with how you ask this question. But the phrase women's issues, I think, is overly broad. And it also suggests, this is sort of a broader than a question wording thing, it suggests that, like, these other issues are not women's issues, that women's issues are just some group of things that women care about. I mean, are we specifying abortion? Are we talking about other things? I don't know. It's not clear from the phrase women's issues. And then everything else is, like, a man's issue and that women's issues are not any of these things. When women may care, may feel that, you know, health care can be a women's issue, that education can be a women's issue, that economic issues can be a women's issue, et cetera. So or seniors issues. So I feel like the phrase women's issues is is problematic. And to look at this also, look at this trend line to go from nine to 14 and say that women's issues or X is to me feels a little like over interpreting. The end. <laughs> Rant over. <laughs> uh, I I will just say I agree. Uh, all issues are women's issues, and I I feel like we have somewhat thoroughly moved past the. Was this like an old Maureen Dowd column that was like mommy issues versus daddy issues, and that like Democrats were the mommy party that were like we're going to help with education and healthcare, and Republicans were the daddy party that were like I swear there was some like 1990s Maureen Dowd column about this that I'm going to have to go dig up now. Yeah, I, don't, I mean um, I, I remember that phrase, but I believe but I don't remember that who said we it. are beyond that world. I believe. That I mean, that to me feels like a very 90s way of thinking about politics. And that to me is where you get something like women's issues kind of emerging. Um, I hear this at conservative women's gatherings all the time that like taxes are a woman's issue because women are small business owners and, you know, entrepreneurs and want flexible work. I mean, like. What have you like the all all issues are women's issues thing is a mantra that I've heard frequently in conservative lady land. So right. you have we have found common cause here that like is a little bit like like a little nails on the chalkboard. Yeah. I mean, it's not to say, look, for sure. Um, look, I would be fine if this question said abortion. Right. Because then at least people know what they're responding to. So that's like a question wording beef as opposed to like the concept of women's issues. So like are, what are people responding to when you say women's issues? You know, we're not totally sure. Um, but yeah, I, I I mean, I do think it's important to be aware of sort of the challenges that women face as, you know, as citizens. And what, or do they have like, you know, are there women who, you know, do women feel underrepresented or do they feel like the needs that, the, you know, their needs, not as women, but their own needs collectively as women are not represented or treated fairly or given, you know, the, full, the fair shake of the powers that be. I think that's perfectly reasonable conversation to have in the Democratic primary. It's just the phrase that like, yeah, now it's women's issue time. OK, now back. Back to everything else. Like that's the part that I find a little yeah. nails on the chalkboard. Well, we've got one other quick poll to talk about before we go to break, which is uh, PRRI has rolled out some new data. And one of the things they ask about is a question about the 2020 census. There's a proposal that has been made to add a question to the census, which would ask about citizenship status. Now, 
The census, crucially, is different from a survey. A survey samples a selection of people and creates population estimates from that sample. A census is a counting of everyone. Everyone is supposed to be included. And so the decision to add the citizenship question to the census has been met with some backlash because if you are adding a question that will make people less likely to want to take the survey – uh, number one, are you therefore undercounting people in certain areas, certain populations? Right. And number two, there is concern, uh, uh, for, especially from Democrats, that if you wound up doing things like reapportionment based on s- number of citizens living somewhere versus number of people living somewhere, that that would wind up sort of advantaging Republicans politically, would wind up making so that lots of people who may not be eligible to vote but are nonetheless sort of represented in government would become like they, their representation would be diluted because they wouldn't be counted in apportionment. Um, so nonetheless, PRI has asked a question, which I am I would like to find the question wording of specifically because to me, the response among the partisan crosstab on this seems suspicious to me. Not that I think that the research is bad. I just can't find the specific wording of this question. If you find it while I'm, I'm yammering. Yes. Basically, they said th- they have given us a chart here. This is from the PRRI Atlantic 2019 Pluralism Survey, where 76 percent of Americans supposedly say that they believe including a citizenship question in the census will make it either somewhat or very likely to be inaccurate. This is highest among Republicans, they find it, 81 percent. So what I am wondering is why would it be that Republicans would be the demographic group most likely to say they believe a citizenship question would make the census inaccurate when the the partisan politics of this issue are very clearly cutting – I mean the difference is very small. But the fact that there is a difference at all and that it actually is in the Republican direction is very surprising to me because I suspect if you asked a question – Is it appropriate or inappropriate for the government to ask as a part of the census somebody's citizenship status, not to pursue them for being an undocumented or what, but just to know if you framed it in that way, which is kind of how I I think advocates of adding the question would frame it. I suspect you would find Republicans being quite okay with that. Um, It would it would surprise me if you didn't. I don't have data. I'm sort of just speculating. But I was quite surprised to see Republicans as the group most likely to agree with the idea that adding the citizenship question will make the census inaccurate. So let me read to you. I found it. So there are two questions, one that's in the our script and then the, one that comes before it. I don't know. Well, let's just let's, let's just read it, shall we? All right. So the first is in 2020 the US government will conduct the official census in which every single household in America will receive a form to fill out to list, okay, some extra words, the number of people living in each house, their age, gender, race, or ethnicity, so the government can count the total number of people living in each state. Do you think the government will use these census records to check on an individual's immigration status, or do you think this information will only be used for counting the population? A plurality, 39% say don't know. 33% say government will check on an individual's immigration status. 26% only used for counting the population. So let's call it a third, a third, a third. It's not quite, but almost, okay. right? Um but more say I don't know because it's it, – but is that anchoring people or is it giving them – is priming them in some way to think about the census in kind of a negative way As perhaps? In, in an, or in, a, in an illegal immigration context. Right. Uh, which would actually in a way kind of explain if you are a Republican and you are more likely to believe that something like illegal immigration is a yep. huge widespread problem, then actually given that setup, that explains a lot Maybe more like, why Republicans yeah. – would be the most this group most strongly of the mind that adding a citizenship question would bias the results of the right. census. Right. So then right. So then here's but we don't know the party breakout for that question. Okay. Right. So then after it says for the first time the 2020 census may include a new question that asks individuals if they are a legal citizen of the United States. In your opinion, how likely do you think it is that the census will not get an accurate count because some people will be worried about answering this question. Will not get an accurate count. So that – by giving me that yeah. question wording, that explains to me why Republicans are so high. And therefore, I believe this question is probably different 
from what you would find if you ask people, would you support or oppose adding this question? Right. So I, I, that, I, like, I'm glad you read that question wording because to me, it's not that that's a bad question. Right. It's a very interesting question. It's just kind of a different question. Right. They're, it's not saying that they are opposed to an accurate count. <laughs> I mean, that's an inaccurate implied, count, but, right? But the, the you know, I, I think also does the question, it uses the phrase legal citizen. Yes. What is an illegal citizen? I mean, I understand there's yeah. illegal resident, but that's a kind of a well. That's just a weird like. I was like, did I hear yes. that? Yes, right? I don't know. I guess maybe to make put a I don't know put a to plant a flag in that. So citizen is not you know that's the legal definition of a citizen as opposed to well. I resident. just I, I just think that was interesting. Like, to me, know. that just stuck out to me as when you think about the politics of who. Who is making the case that, no, this won't actually hurt the census? It is the, the Trump administration and sort of their advocates within Bureau of Labor Statistics. And like that's the case they've been making. And I believe it's going through the courts right now. Um, actually, I believe the most recent ruling said they had to take it out. No, this that might be that might be fake news. Not intentionally. I'm caveating it with like a million. I don't actually know. It's a thing I the saw. Last thing Twitter. I saw was the daughter who sent her dad's records about oh the gerrymandering yeah. thing where he was the yeah that was wild um we can maybe let's dig into that like on a future show or we yeah. should get like dave wasserman in because he was one of dave wasserman's like sources for a long time oh really about all things gerrymandering we should we should get him right, right. And and about he that. Was, yes okay okay but nonetheless i just i want thank you for finding that question wording because to me it seems strange that republicans would be the most like oh yeah this is going to make the census inaccurate but now that you've described to me the question wording I totally get why it would and come out that And isn't it tons of fun to have your question? Sorry, PR. I feel oh, like, God. I, like, why is that word the in there? You oh, know? No, again, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> it's like, that's the kind of thing where you're like, no, don't do it. No, no, no. We do no. it to everybody else. Robert, Sorry. we love you if you're listening. Sorry. Robert, PR, we Nobody, love you. We love you. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm just, that now explains yeah. to me something that was like, huh, like kind of a weird mystery when I first saw that number. Now I get it. Uh, bef- so do you want to cut to a real quick break? Yes. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups... It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. All right, we're back. Uh, So some quick little wrap-up things. The first is we'll do a little Dem 2020. Uh, you'll notice we sort of left out the 2020 check-in, the presidential job approval check-in. I know. Wait, we didn't do... It doesn't matter. We didn't do Trump's approval. Let me guess. It's 42%. Pull it up. Hold Let's on. see. Hold da, on. Da, da, la, 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 la. Drum roll, please. Uh, is Trump's job approval on wait, average 42%? On. Wait, where is it? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm a Gen Xer, okay? It's going to take me a second. All right, Trump job approval. Drop down. Go to the window. Okay. Um, he is at 43.8. Oh, I was low. <laughs> I took the under, though. When Price is Right, I'd be fine. <laughs> yeah. And that's because, you know, there was a Rasmussen poll out recently oh rasmussen you got my minus one so that's that's why okay well i was close he's got a two he's got two numbers in the last kind of chunk that are closer for him is the rasmussen and um harvard harris done by he who has no name, <laughs> name we will not speak. Uh, okay, so speaking of names, that's where he gets his best numbers. Anyway, yes, speaking keep of going. names, we have a really interesting story about people choosing in the latest CNN poll that they will vote for someone in the Democratic primary who they have never heard of before. So, as I, I will, I'm going to screw this up because I am not as in the weeds on the wonderful world of how do you qualify for the Democratic debates as perhaps Margie is. 
Uh, but I believe it, it is, is a story you, I follow. This is a story she follows for professional reasons. So you have to get one percent in a poll, a poll, some polls, many polls. You one have to poll. get one percent in three different polls, three different polls, and they can't be from the same outlet. Ah, okay. And it comes from a list of. So you can't just like slip, you know, Rasmussen. A couple there's boxes a, like there's a like, predetermined list of outlets. This? Yes, don't do that. Nobody does that, guys. I don't mean to be feeding conspiracy theories. That is not <laughs> a thing that happens. Uh, nonetheless, so Steve Kornacki uh, tweeted a nugget from Harry Enten, friend of the show, that there were a couple CNN poll respondents. So this is the poll where Michael Bennett gets one percent, which is enough to qualify him to be in the debates. Uh, there were enough a couple respondents who in the fave-unfave question said they had never heard of Michael Bennett, but then when asked who they would vote for for the White House, they picked Michael Bennett. So, like, by just sort of randomly selecting a name. I've heard of him. <laughs> oh, I've heard of him because you just asked me about him. Sure, him. He's, that's a, that's a nice-sounding name. Uh, he qualified for the debate stage. So, uh, fun stuff. Then my uh, business partner, Patrick, who again? I can tell intern Jan has clipped this this graphic for this because it's partially in French. We have we have a French intern at Echelon this this Sweet. summer. Sweet. <laughs> um, does, does, that not, mean, does, does that mean does he, he doesn't follow he doesn't Patrick? Follow Patrick. Oh, Jan, you've been called out by your own screen grab. Yikes! Or maybe he's just not logged in in the browser. Maybe he's maybe in he's cognito mode. Not logged in in the browser. You need to sweep. <laughs> Everyone must sweep. <laughs> Patrick Ruffini. <laughs> he's always getting me into trouble on Twitter. <laughs> uh, no, he's we he he but he in Slack last week was like, uh, "You guys keep subtweeting me on the show." <laughs> now we're not subtweeting you. At least you. your we're business partners listen to the show. Openly <laughs> tweeting you, Patrick. I could subtweet my business partners the entire show, and they would have no idea. <laughs> uh, but he basically says you have a better chance of qualifying for the debates via random statistical artifact involving less than three respondents than you do by investing massive sums trying to hit the donor threshold. Um, and then Kornacki uh, just tweets the latest uh, CNN SSRS poll numbers, fave unfaves, Biden's fave unfave 46-38, Sanders 46-44, uh, Warren 33-38, Harris 27-32. So a lot of these folks like slightly underwater, but uh, there's these still are, a lot These of, are not from the Dem primary. This is overall, overall. This is not Dem primary. So this is in some ways of limited value at this point because we got a long way to go, my friends. Speaking of going a long way, are you going a long way anywhere fun this yes. summer that you can disclose on the no. show? No, I didn't think so. Okay. Uh, you know, one beach location and then one kind of like somewhat near scenic route toward family location. So those are the two that we have. Nice. I feel like I'm going to spend most of the summer in the Mountain West. Like I have my, mm. I have my Echelon Insights embroidered fleece. Which is going to be so crucial oh. for like the Aspen Ideas Festival. Yes, where we're going to be at the Margie Aspen. and I are going. Yes. If you are yes. have ideas and all right, we'll are taking them to Aspen, we have where an all office, ideas are made. We have an office <laughs> fleece, but it's it's with the it doesn't have the O on it, so I don't take it. To, oh. It was from last year. It's like a limited limited edition. Well, that seems vintage, like something vintage. an embroiderer could relatively easily fix. Yeah, that's like, uh, yes, I, I will do that. I'm on it. Let me add in my Evernote <laughs> list of 8,000 things I have to do. Get the O embroidered on. Get the O embroidered on last You can last get a paint pen. I can, <laughs> that uh, I can look, do. Look, my, my time being a college sorority president taught me some crafting <laughs> skills that I think could really come in handy I do here have a for modding out your fleece. Hot, hot pink, hot glue gun. So maybe I should do that. That's but, all um, you need, man. You got the tools. Uh, so mm. yeah, we'll be in, we'll be in Aspen uh, this weekend. I'm going to be headed out to uh, Park City for what I lovingly call Romney Fest. Sure. Um, Mitt Romney's E2 Summit. I'm not sure what else I can say about it except that I will be there and it is in a mountain and it is in the west. So lots of this summer I'm going to be spending in, in mountains. Yeah. But only 52% of Americans, according to a survey from Bankrate that we have no methodological details on, but that's okay because it's the end of the show, 52% of Americans are planning to take a summer vacation this year. The most common reason that people say they are not planning, I assume, is that they say they can't afford it. This is a confusingly written news article, as they usually are for this part of the show. 
Um, that big factors are things like daily bills, paying debts. 29% of Americans reportedly have more credit card debt than savings. Um, others had things like family obligations, inability to take time off work, health or age complications. I feel silly that I have been reluctant to plan any sort of more travel this summer besides these like work junkets to mountain locations mm. because I don't want to leave Wally. Um. And you can't really bring him because he's like 80 pounds and you can't bring dogs on planes in hot weather. And so poor Wally. We're boarding My him na- for the first time this weekend. He seems us. like he'd be fine. I'm My sure neighbors he will be take fine. their he, big He dog survived a Turkish shelter. Like, I'm sure whatever frou-frou, hipster, dog boarding situation we find for him will be totally fine. There is a dog hotel out by Dulles, I kid you not, that has, like, a pool. You can do paw lattes. Like, you can book oh my God. extra crap for your dog. You, they can hit turn down service, oh my which gosh. is ridiculous for me in the Wally context because, like, we bought him a nice fancy dog bed and he lays in it for two seconds and then as soon as we turn out the lights he gets out of it and just walks into the hallway so like Uh turn down service is not a high priority for Mr. Wally Anderson (laughs) the golden retriever (laughs) but we'll see how he does being boarded for the, the first time Oh, he's going to be great. I'm sure he'll be fine. He'll be great. Okay, so what's on the trend line this week? Uh, I am super excited. We're taping it a day early because of my travels to Romney Fest. But I have booked an interview with Nikki Freed, who is the Agriculture Commissioner of Florida. She is the only Democrat who is elected statewide. Mm-hmm. Um, I know her because she was student body president at the University of Florida when I rolled in as a wide-eyed freshman. Oh. Um, so, And what is fascinating about her is that she kind of ran and one on the medical marijuana issue initially in like the Democratic primary, but then kind of made the gun issue a part of her campaign um, because the Florida Department of Agriculture, I guess, has some role to play in things like concealed carry permits, I believe. Um, so I'm fascinated to talk to her because, well, one, she pulled off a feat that no other Democrat has pulled off in the state of Florida in my adult lifetime, which is being elected statewide to a state office. Bill Nelson for Senate. That's different. Um But I want to talk to her about the medical marijuana issue, the politics of the gun issue in Florida, um, and sort of what she's doing in that office. So that'll be fun. I'm, again, always looking for young leaders of both parties to come on the show, especially Love Gator. And then I'll be talking to Dave Kochel, who was campaign manager for Jeb 2016, and he knows Iowa better than anyone else. And so just going to chit chat with him about what's going on in in the state of Iowa. Cool. Okay, great. Well... I just have one message. Don't share made-up news. Everybody, don't follow Kristen's example from 10 years ago. Don't share made-up news. Instead, share the pollsters. You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters, individually at, at Margie O'Mero and at Soltis Anderson. You can find us on Facebook or at www.thepolsters.com. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>